0: Well, good morning everybody. It's the seventh Sunday of Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Now next week is Pentecost Sunday, which is when the church remembers the giving of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So we're kind of not exactly lined up in our Acts series here because we did that a couple of weeks ago, but hey, we're just so glad you're here. Thanks for for being with us at New Life Downtown. Uh, We try very loosely here to uh, keep in step with the church calendar as a way of reminding ourselves uh, the great company of, of believers that we're part of. Um, my name is Glenn Packham. I'm the pastor here at New Life Downtown. Uh, we, we're doing the sticky name tag thing because many of us are just new to one another. And so hopefully this will just help us kind of, or at the very least, help me, um, you know, see each of you and call you by name. And, and uh, we're glad you're here. If you haven't done so already and you are new, there's a guest card that we have at this table uh, out here in the lobby area by the giant mirror. Um, so you can fix your hair and fill out a guest card all at the same time. And, uh, and, and then just, just leave the card there on the table. We'll get it. And then that's the way for... I'll email you this week. Then you'll have my email address. And then if you have any questions or, or anything like that, you can, uh, we can get in touch with one another. Um, also, I wanted you to know, some of you have mentioned you're dealing with some back stuff I have compassion for you, um, and, and, and so, th- so you've told me that some of these chairs, are, the white chairs are not as comfortable. We've set up six brown chairs in the back here that are more like dining table chairs. Um, if you would like them, we're going to try to have them uh, there in the back row each week, so if you, if you need that. Um, that hopefully will be better than, than these white ones. Uh, bathrooms are over here. Emergency exits are here. No, just kidding. Uh, uh, and then childcare is downstairs, but I know that, that, that uh, we ran out of room down there. So again, we're, we're still working on addressing some of the stuff. We might be able to add um, more space uh, and, and all of that. So, But hey, did you notice the frosted uh, window here? Yeah. Now whoever that guy is who's leasing that building, we, we don't know anymore. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Very good, and we are, you know, the people who own this place, we're kind of, um, they've been very gracious to us, but they, they're working on building us a little stage that we can use, and um, so, because I'm short, oh my gosh, Katrina, where's Corbin? Hey, these guys, you didn't, listen, here, stand up for me, can I, is that okay? These guys, we, if you were part of New Life Sunday Night, we prayed for them on their way out, and they spent the last year in India as a tent maker, missionaries, and I'm not literally making tent, that tents, that's an expression for being in the business world, but being there as missionaries, and they just came back for a little bit. Hi, welcome back. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, it's joy time, everybody. Yes, and it's the time where we give to God, let's see, this mic's dead, so we'll have to do the readings with another mic, um, unless you want to fix the batteries or something while well, I pray a long prayer. Um, <laughs> um, joy time, we, we, we call it joy time because it's the time when we, we give to the Lord of our finances and really for all the things uh, the Bible says about that. The, the thing at the top of the list for us is we do it joyfully and with glad hearts and it's not an investment, it's not a donation, it's not a tip, it's, uh, it's worship. It's part of what we do and so we also call it joy time because we're about to listen to the readings, the Old Testament and New Testament readings and And the Word of God brings joy into our hearts. So let's pray about both of those things, uh, and then we'll keep going. Father, we thank You for who You are. Uh, We thank You for Your Spirit living within us as we've been singing about that teaches us to cry out to You as our Father. Uh, We're so grateful that we can be here this morning, and uh, maybe even regardless of what we feel sometimes emotionally, we can have this assurance that we're Yours. And so, God, we give to you just as a way of saying, yes, we are yours, and our money represents that. And, uh, and, God, we pray that you give us soft hearts as we listen to your word, being read and being taught. Give us hearts that are willing to obey and quick to change, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Hi, my name is Cassie Medina. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 35, 3-7. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. The word of the Lord. You, My name is Jesse, and the New Testament reading is found in Luke five eighteen through 26 in the Common English Bible. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, cotton all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and Pharisees began to mutter among themselves, Who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded, Why do you fill your mind with these things? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, get up, take your cot, and go home. Right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, and went home, praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, We've seen unimaginable things today. The gospel of the Lord.
0: We're in part five here of our series in the book of Acts, and and uh, week one or part one of this series, we talked about Acts one, and we, we talked about how Um, the church, one of the first things they did was they began to wait, and Jesus told them to wait, and so the waiting kind of began to form them as a people, and and we talked about the importance of how they they, um, took the time to replace Judas, and so instead of just having 11, they had 12, and the reason for that was not just um, because 12 can do more work than 11, but it's sort of a symbolic act, and and the idea behind that is they were trying to, to demonstrate that, look... What's beginning here is a new community, uh, the, the, the people of God is being formed, a new people of God is being put together with Jews and Gentiles, and they needed 12 to kind of represent that, to make people think of 12 uh, tribes of Israel. And so uh, we talked about what it means to kind of sit, to learn to be formed, to be the people of God, and, and then in week two, uh, we, we looked at the first part of Acts 2, and we looked at Pentecost, and we looked at the Holy Spirit coming as God's empowering presence to help us to live and to be and to proclaim Jesus. And then part three, we talked specifically about what does it mean to proclaim Jesus. And we looked at Peter's sermon. And we said, okay, so, so, so what does this mean to say that Jesus is Lord and Christ? That He's both the sovereign one and the saving one. And both of those words being trigger words of deep, cherished beliefs and stories and hopes. And, and then last week, we, we finished up Acts chapter 2 with this great passage about what the first followers of Jesus devoted themselves to. We said they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And we talked about how important it is to have, like the old Midwest farmers would do in a blizzard, to put a rope around their waist and tie the other end to the door, so when they went out to the barn they could find their way home in the snowstorm. And how the Creed and some of these other confessions are ways of putting that rope around our waist, devoting ourselves to the apostles' doctrine and, and the, the community, and fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We talked about all of that last week, and now here we are in Acts chapter 3. And uh, if you're looking to catch up on some of those weeks, uh, because I realize um, people don't come to church as regularly as the pastor does, and that's okay, it's sort of how life is. But, but if you want to catch up on that, um, there's a podcast on iTunes, and if you're an iTunes person, you can just search their new life downtown, and you'll find the podcast, and you can download the previous weeks and all of that. Uh, you can also follow New Life Downtown on Twitter. It's just at New Life Downtown. Uh, and then during the week we might tweet um, scripture readings, the text that's coming up, the Old Testament reading that's coming up. So if you were the kind of student in school that loved to read ahead before the lecture, not that this is a lecture, but maybe you feel like it sometimes, then, then, then you could do that. You could, you could kind of get the stuff in advance and, and do that. But here we are in Acts 3, and we're faced with a, a, a healing story, a miracle story um, now, this could be one of, those, one of those things that stirs up maybe um, issues. Because when we come to a healing story, we think, okay, uh, wait a second, what do we do with this? I don't know what I think about healing, and I don't know what I think about miracles, and how do I make sense of this? I, I told you a few weeks ago the kind of church that I grew up in, the first part of my life was in an Anglican church, first part of my life, first six years, seven years or so, was in an Anglican church, and then by uh, eight years old or so, we joined a church that was called a full gospel assembly, and the the idea behind the full gospel phrase was this idea that, oh, we want to emphasize all of it, we want to embrace the gifts of the Spirit and all of that, and I'm grateful for growing up that way, um, but it was not with, and I think I shared with you even when I did the sermon on Pentecost, it was not without its challenges as every Christian upbringing maybe has, um, or maybe every upbringing in general has, Um, But one of the things I'm grateful for is I I, I discovered or was exposed to at an early age this belief that Jesus' name really does carry power with it. That Jesus really does have authority in this world and that he is reigning and that it it shows up in the way that he frees people and it shows up in the way that he heals people. And and my parents were were, were very... a taken with this and so i remember hosting gatherings at our house and my mom was a great hostess and you know there'd be extraordinary food and so we join in for all of that and, and many times it would turn to saying well who has a need and we'll pray for people and so there's was, there was prayer times and some of you probably remember days like this you know where uh, and you would see little miracles sometimes uh, uh, um whether people you know had a headache or whatever sometimes you'd see bigger stories or big 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 um um acts of god or interventions of god But I was always, and this may surprise you, but I was always the kid who was, on the one hand, really wowed by it, and on the other hand, analyzing it. Now, you'd never guess that about me, I'm sure. But but I I was always sort of looking at it and thinking, okay, you know, and we would have these youth camps and retreats. And being in Malaysia, a lot of times the people that would come and speak at those things were evangelists or sometimes self-proclaimed, I, I don't know, that would come in and, and teach. I mean, just being honest, we had some interesting characters that came in to speak at our youth retreats. And, and they would do these things. They would have healing lines or prayer lines. And some of those times were the most deeply impactful moments. I could tell you stories of coming up to the, to the front and crying and, and, and feeling the Lord you know, speaking and moving. And then I could tell you other times where it all just seemed a little too forced. And it seemed like someone was out to make the show happen. And if you've been around... Pentecostal charismatic stuff. You've probably seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Am I right? And 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 you you discover that on the one hand, in Jesus' name is this thing that you have seen amazing things happen in Jesus' name. But then you've probably also seen people try to use Jesus' name like a magic incantation kind of thing. You know, I, I, as I got older and was around this stream of the, the church more, I saw people try to use Jesus' name as a way of guaranteeing a good parking spot. You know. Lord, I'm going to the mall, and in Jesus' name, I demand a clo- you know, I command a close... It was just sort of weird, okay? Uh, or, or people would start to use Jesus' name as a way of controlling life, or avoiding pain, or avoiding hardship. And Jesus' name became not just a, 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 a name that we called on that had power in it, but it became a means of controlling your life. To make things work the way you wanted it to work. Now, even if you've, wa- even if you've not grown up the way I did, and God bless you for not, um, you, you've prob- you're probably familiar with the fact that there are different parts of the church and different parts of the body of Christ, and, and maybe even just watching from afar, you think, okay, either I want nothing to do with this because this is all kind of crazy and weird, and so, and so when you read your Bible, if you're honest, you would say, you know what, I kind of skip over those parts, like the parts where there's a healing story or there's a this or that, I just sort of... Skip past it because I don't know what to do with it. When Jesus talks about loving your enemy, ah, man, I could talk for hours about that. But when Jesus heals, like the, like the, the gospel reading this morning, when Jesus heals the man, the, the paralytic, I don't know what to do with that, right? Or maybe you think, you know what, I've got this figured out. I know what it is. It's that those things were only for an age, or for a season, or for a dispensation, or this was only for a time, and then God doesn't work this way anymore. The, the trouble with that is we, we don't really, we're not really given something, to me, something very clearly that says, and it ends now. What we see even with Luke is Luke is, is telling a story even in Acts 3 that actually is quite parallel to the story he told of Jesus in Luke 5. I've said this every week that we've been in this series, but Luke re, uh, is really the writer, that, the kind of writer that only has one story to tell. And he told it about Jesus in the, his gospel, and now he's telling it about the church. See, in Luke 4, Jesus stands up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And then in Luke 5, he starts healing people. Well, in Acts 2, the church is filled with the Spirit of God. And then in Acts 3, they start healing people. So Luke's trying to make us see something here, that the work of Jesus is continuing. So it's, it's difficult to say, all right, no, no, no none of it. But then we're maybe tempted to kind of swing the other way and say, well, this ought to be the norm. This just ought to be life. This ought to be you wake up in the morning and let's, just, let's all head down to the ER and let's clear out the trauma unit, you know, in Jesus' name. Hey, that would be amazing. But if you've tried things like that, you've probably come back and realized that you, you didn't clear it out. And so then you think, well, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be normative. It's supposed to just be an everyday occurrence. And oftentimes the people who think that We'll cite the book of Acts, and we'll say, well, Acts, look, Acts, the, the miracles left and right in Acts. But you have to remember that Acts, again, is written over the span of, about, it covers about 30 years of, of narrative, of story, from Jesus' ascension all the way through the, destru- right before the destruction of Jerusalem. More than that, it takes place in at least three different cities. There's Jerusalem, there's Antioch, there's Ephesus, there's actually a couple more stories in other cities, and it involves Two or three different people. There's Peter, there's Paul, there's Philip. So when you put it all together like that, you think, well, could you think of five people who over the course of 30 years had stories of God working through them? Well, maybe, yeah, those, those odds all of a sudden get a little bit better. But, but the point is to, to say it's neither not for today nor is it always for every day, every moment of every day. You say, well, Glenn, that does that's not helpful. What do I do with that? We're I mean, we going to be stuck in this middle tension mystery, maybe. But let's turn to our text. Acts 3, verse 1. And I want, to know, I want you to know a talk like today is a talk that I invite you into the story to wrestle with it, So wrestle with it, to say, where am I in this tension? Where am I in this grappling with this? Acts 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon the established prayer time. I thought it's interesting to point out that even after receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they're still praying at special organized prayer times. <laughs> Remember last week when we said, now wait a minute, is church organized religion or spontaneous gatherings? And we said, both hands, yes. yeah." So here they are, full of the Spirit, preaching Jesus, and they're going to the Jewish syn- you know, synagogue for established prayer time. Because for a little while here, the first Christians are still Jews. Um, Verse 2, Meanwhile, a man crippled since birth was being carried in. Every day people would place him at the temple gate known as the Beautiful Gate so he could ask for money from those entering the temple. Now, I want to stop here and just make a couple comments. The fact that Luke tells us that he's a man crippled by birth and that he was placed at the temple gate, but not inside. He was at the gate, but not inside. What what should we notice about this? First of all, one of the things we know is that those who were sick and crippled, were sort of, there was sort of this view built in that these people were kind of less than. Uh, and, and furthermore, a person who's crippled from birth likely carried this connotation that your parents must have done something bad. That's why you, you ended up this way. You're, you're dealing with God's judgment here. I mean, you, you were born with this because this is God's judgment on you and you're messed up and you're, you're, you're you know, all of this stuff. Now, think about that. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he began to ask them for a gift. And Peter and John stared at him. And Peter said, look at us. Which maybe implies that he was so used to so much shame that he wouldn't even look. That he was used to just doing this. Peter says, look at us. You have to wonder... Are there times that our zeal for God is so strong that we, out of, in the name of religious zeal, form a barrier and keep people on the outside? Are there things that we say and that we do that make a person feel shame, like they've been crippled since birth, that they belong on the outside, that they can't come in the temple, but they've got to sit at the gate? Are there things like that? And Peter says, look at us. And so the man gazed at them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. And in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong and jumping up, he began to walk around and he entered the temple with them. Listen, he could now go in. He was now made whole. Part of this miracle story is not just a physical miracle, but it's a story of a person's dignity being restored. It's a story of a person who was cast out, who was made to feel ashamed for the way he was born, and all of a sudden, he's being made whole and brought inside the temple. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the same one who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate asking for money and they were filled with amazement and surprise at what had happened to him. One of the themes in Luke's Gospel, and if you were with us on the New Life Sunday Night series we did last year on the Gospel of Luke, you'll remember this, that one of Luke's big themes as a writer is he wants to show how Jesus is bringing outsiders in. How Jesus is saying to people that have social stigmas against them. Actually, very specifically, people whom the religious community has said, no, 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 not you. Yes, you, yes, you, yes, you, but not you. And, and Luke's gospel goes out of his way to show Jesus talking to a Samaritan or talking to a widow or talking to a leper. Or talk, and why does Luke do this? Could it be that Luke is the non-Jewish guy of the bunch? Maybe Maybe because Luke himself is a Greek. And maybe Luke knows what it's like to not have been one of the twelve. Maybe Luke knows what it's like to have been one of the outsiders. Could it be that Luke has this particular interest in showing Jesus' love for outsiders because he knows what it is to be one? But in Acts, this theme follows Luke. In Acts, we just finished last week in chapter 2 where it says, "...and they devoted themselves to fellowship and community." And so, we, you know, it's kind of that warm and fuzzy, like, this is so awesome, we're going to love each other, and we're going to, we launch the needs board back there, freely give, freely receive, we're going to, you know. but lest we think that church is all about this, Luke says his very first story, his very next story, rather, is a story of them seeing a person who's kept on the outside, a person whom religious community in God's name kept out. You sit at the gate. You don't come in. We'll carry you. We'll put you at the gate. But that's it. Just the gate. Nothing more for you. Could you think of anything that we do that's like that? Could you think of anything that we do in God's name, out of zeal, out of passion, out of commitment, that maybe inadvertently becomes a barrier, comes a way of saying, not you. You stay here prayer, I think, makes us begin to really see the world. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and thank God they're in a prayerful state of mind, because on their way in, they see this man. They see him. Oh, that God would give us eyes to really see people, to not be so caught up in our whatever it is, our zeal or conviction or whatever it is, that ends up building this barrier and keeping people outside and ashamed. Oh, that God would give us eyes that really see and say, you know, that, that's a hurting person. That is a hurting person. That's, some, that's, not, that's not just a man crippled from, from birth. That's, that's a person who's hurting. Oh, that God would give us eyes to really begin to see the world. Not to... Fight the world, condemn the world, criticize the world, keep the world from encroaching in. All the other things we think it's our job to do. I've got to stop the world, fight the world, combat the world, draw a line against the world, take a stand against the world. And maybe all along Jesus is saying, actually, would you just see the world? Would you see them and love them and see the person who's kept out, been kept out? Prayer helps us see the world. Pain, on the other hand, keeps us in a prison. I don't know if any of you have dealt with recurring physical pain even. You know, you know, I told you a couple weeks back my whole back thing. And, and I'm, you know, thank God, praise God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing much better. And I you know, appreciate all the medical help I've gotten, chiropractic and all of that. Um, um, but, 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 you know, for the first couple of weeks, it's the kind of thing where you're, you're really conscious of it all the time. And I know some of you deal with chronic pain. Uh, back pain stuff, you know. But you know what it's like. Even getting up from bed is not as simple as just popping up out of bed. It's like roll over to the side, push up with your arm, and then, okay, there we go. Got it, you know. And every, every little thing becomes a big thing. Or if you've ever re- rehabbed a, an injury, you know, a knee thing or whatever, um, you, you know what that's like. It's not, it's not just a simple thing. All of a sudden, a, a, a walk of like a couple hundred yards feels like it might as well be a few miles. I mean, it's like, this is a lot of work. Pain does that. Pain has a way of keeping us in a smaller world. Pain has a way of making our world seem small. Here is this crippled man bound up in his pain, and his pain has got him to the point where this is his whole life. Just sitting and just hoping for some alms, just for some money. this is all. And, and, and maybe that pain is emotional pain, you know, grief or trauma or sorrow. It has a way of closing our world in on us. And some of that is, there's no other way to walk through it than to walk through it. It's just part of life, you know. But we recognize what it's like to be kept sort of bound in. Pain does that. Peter and John see this man, see his pain, and dignify him to say, look at us, look at us. I don't have what you're asking for, but I've got something better than that. This is not, by the way, a, a proof text to say, okay, see, we don't need to feed the hungry or give water to the people starving in Africa. You know, we just need to bring them the gospel. This, I think, is a way of saying that the mission of the people of God is all-inclusive. It's all-inclusive. It's rescuing. It's going eat, but it's going even to something beyond um, just food and drink. It's going to the depth of a need. It's setting them free at the deepest core. It's bringing them in to the people of God. But now we come to it. So prayer helps us see the world. Pain keeps us bound in a prison. But then there is this power in Jesus' name. The power of Jesus' name that Peter and John speak to him. They say, Look, we don't have the money that you need, but look, what I do have is this power in Jesus' name. And so I speak in his name. Rise up and walk, and he does. And we want to know what is this name? What does it mean to speak, to act, to live, to call on Jesus' name? The New Testament Acts in particular goes to great lengths to show us that there's a difference between magic and miracles. In fact, in the first century, there were magicians, and there was medicine, and there were miracles. And most of those three things are a little different than how we understand them today. There were were magicians who knew how to use the right words and the right spells and the right incantations to make things happen. But they were harnessing some kind of other divine power, but it was all about them them manipulating it. Really, magic is about manipulation. Magic is about manipulating things to work in your favor. Medicine in the first century, we won't address today because that's sort of neither here nor there for our text. But magic is humans controlling divine powers for personal purposes or glory. It always elevates the magician because it's, the per- it's him who's in power. It's him who's done this, which is why the story later in Acts of Simon the Sorcerer, you remember this? He's all about these powers. And so he sees something and he says, wait a minute, I don't have that trick in my bag. How much for that one? And they're like, this is not for sale. You cannot become the master of this power. But magicians are used to being the master of the power. And so they want to be in control. Miracles, on the other hand, is God acting through humans to accomplish His purpose for His glory. So Glenn, are how, how do we know that Peter and John are, 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 are making this point? Well, read with me in verse 11. While the healed man clung to Peter and John, all the people rushed toward them at Solomon's porch, completely amazed. And seeing this, Peter addressed the people, you Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you, here's the key sentence, why are you staring at us as if we made him walk by our own power and or piety? In other words, why are you looking at us like we did this? We didn't do this. This is not by our own power. We're not the magicians. Or piety, as if it was our righteousness that manipulated God into this. We, we, we didn't do this. And then he goes on, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus. This is the one you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence, even though he had already decided to release him. This is Peter, yeah, he's taking in the knife and twisting it. It keeps going. You rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked that our murderer be released to you instead. You could stop there, Peter. You killed the author of life, the very one whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. His name itself has made this man strong. That is, because of faith in Jesus' name, God has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave Him complete health right before your eyes. This is amazing. The significance cannot be kind of understated because even when Jesus was healing, there were other people who did miracles in Jesus' day. There were other miracle workers. Again, some of them were magicians. Some of them were were, um, servants of Yahweh, whether priests or rabbis or something like that, where they would call on Yahweh and they would say, Lord, you heal. But you realize, you remember this moment, there's several moments like this in the Gospels where Jesus heals and they say, wait a minute. Even the Gospel reading text this morning in Luke, Who's, who gave you authority to do this? And he doesn't say, oh no, I'm, I'm appealing to Yahweh. He's saying, um, I'm doing it. On whose authority? Um, mine. Are you the Lord? You have said it. <laughs> Jesus would say things like that because it's his way of saying, I don't pray to someone else, I do it. I'm the one with the authority, it's me. I'm the one. And now the disciples are saying, okay, listen, this Jesus, not just a man, not just a prophet, but the very one who came as the sovereign one and the saving one. And so when we, if He really is the King of this world, then we're acting in the King's name and with the King's authority. And so with the King's authority, we say, be healed. Now that's Massive. That's saying we believe that this world answers to one true King, and it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So to act in Jesus' name, let's put this on the screen here. To act in Jesus' name is to No the one bef- right before that. There you go. No. Yep. Sorry? To act in Jesus' name is to act in accordance with Jesus' reign and with Jesus' authority. Do you have a That phrase out there, I'll let you look for it. To act in Jesus' name is to act in accordance with Jesus' reign and with Jesus' authority. Now, to say to act in accordance with Jesus' reign with Jesus' authority. Now, if you unpack that in a couple ways, you might say it this way. When you act and do things that that line up with Jesus' reign as king you will find the power of Jesus' name to back that up. You will find the authority of Jesus. And, and I think that's a better way to think about it rather than saying it like, oh, you know, all things are possible. Or, or, and sometimes we kind of have it as like this peppy praise song. It's like, I can do anything! I can do anything! In Jesus' name, that's not exactly the point. you know, Because then you have people saying, well, I can do anything, so maybe I can fly in Jesus' name. Really the point is, when you begin to line up with Jesus' reign, you will find the authority of Jesus' name. And when you begin to act and say, God, okay, look, look, God, this, you, Jesus, you really are the king, you really are reigning, and I, 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 I'm lining my life up with it, and so help me now in Jesus' name to speak, to act. And there's a power that follows it. Now, we still find ourselves with this dilemma because you say, well, Glenn, it isn't... How how do we think about healing then? Because healing is something in accordance with Jesus' reign, right? Doesn't King Jesus, won't King Jesus one day make everything whole and restored? So that is lining up with His reign. So how come there's not always this authority to say to the sick, be healed, and and, and they're healed? The, The short answer is I don't know. But we do live in the midst of a bit of attention. The truth is there's two moments where the New Testament tells us that Jesus says it is done or it is finished. One, John in his gospel says Jesus on the cross says it is finished. And usually that's the only one we remember. And so we think, hey, look, it's finished. He said it. He said it. It's finished. But actually there's a second time he says it is done. It's in Revelation 21, and John, also John, has this vision of Jesus coming back. And he says, after reigning, and after wiping the tears from every eye, and after defeating death, and after making heaven and earth new again, after renewing this world, after renewing it, he then says, It is coming to pass, it is done. Wait a minute, nobody ever taught me that. I know, me neither. So there's an it is finished and there's an it is done. And here we are in the middle of that. At the cross, Jesus, in the cross and his resurrection, Jesus accomplishes this great victory. But there's this time of full release of it. Now, actually, that's not too difficult to think about for those of you who've ever had kids around Christmas time. Because at Christmas time, let's say, you know, um, you know Jonas, our youngest, he kind of wants his own bike. He doesn't want a pink one for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but he wants his own bike. And let's say, let's say I bought him one and he somehow found out about it. He saw the helmet somewhere or something. And what if he says to me, he would have to be talking a lot better than he is now uh, by Christmas. And let's say in November sometime, he says to me, Dad, you bought me a bike. I said, yeah, you're right. I did. You paid for it. You're absolutely right. I I paid for it. So, well, Dad, I am your son. Yes, you are. I am called by your name. That's true. Pacium. And so since I am your son and I have been called by your name, and since you have paid for it, then in your name, I receive my bike. So, So it's not, but it's not Christmas time yet. So that maybe the problem is that I'm not receiving well. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Dad, I believe I am your son. So no, I, no, I, you are. That's true. And I believe you paid for my. You know, it's totally true. I did. I've got the receipts. You know. Then I receive my bike. So son, it's not Christmas. Okay. I think you see it. Jesus at the cross and resurrection does defeat death and does in His death and resurrection, He changed the future of everything. Some people called it uh, uh, kind of almost this, this bringing, anyway, there, there's, a way, there's so many different mind-bending, uh, lost kind of ways of thinking about what happens at Jesus' death and resurrection where He changes the, the, the constitution of everything. Creation itself is renewed. The future's already happened in the cross. It's kind of bizarre to think about but that doesn't mean there's not an unfolding of it. So you say okay, all right, all right, Glenn, all right. Great, great, great. And and really if you don't if you think about this, nobody I've not met anyone yet with enough faith to faith themselves into a resurrection body. Right? The last line of the creed says we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's coming. First Corinthians 15 says it comes when Jesus comes. Romans 8 says we've got some, if we have it already, then there's nothing left to hope for, but we hope and we long and creation itself is longing, meaning there is this world to come that is this renewed world, renewed bodies. Even the saints in heaven are longing for this resurrected bodies, we think. And so there's something future still. Nobody can have enough faith to receive that now. You can't twist God's arm enough to faith yourself into that. So then the question is, okay, okay, fine, fine, Glenn. So then is it all later? Is there nothing now? I think the New Testament is trying to tell us that because Jesus is king and because that is coming, there's little ways that breaks through even now. There's advances of that. There's signs of that. There's Again, what are miracles called? They're called signs and wonders. A signpost is not your actual destination. You're not driving. You don't drive to Denver and see a sign that says Denver 34 miles and say, We're here, honey. No, no. You're, it tells you you're coming. It's coming. Where every healing, every miracle is a sign that one day God will set it all right. Every time we experience a miracle or an inbreaking of God's power is a sign that says one day the God who made this world will put it all back together again. That means we should ask. That means we should pray. That means we should re- realize that this Jesus who reigns does love to restore and heal. Now, I know this is hard because some of you probably feel like, Glenn, I am done asking and praying because nothing happens. I know. And I wish it were as simple as saying, let go of asking or let go of disappointment. But somehow we live in this in-between world where we're asked to hang on to both. Where sometimes we deal with disappointment, but we're still asked to keep asking and believing and saying, Jesus... I know this is your, your reign, means life and healing and restoration. Would you let something of that break in now in the form of this healing? Would you do that? And we don't like to live in tension in between two things. We'd rather just pick one. But tension makes all kinds of things work. This is a guitar. Um, I play a guitar. wonderful but the guitar is only the guitar because there's six strings that are tightly wound to just the right tension and it would be much easier to say well i just need to stop believing because i can't i can't i'm not ready for more disappointment i i can't believe anymore and then our heart or our faith begins to sound like that it's not very good so, well, I just, I gotta not I, I, can't, I can't believe in it. And Jesus maybe is asking us to embrace a little tension to say, I know this is hard. I know it's a now and a not yet. I know that there's a kingdom that has come and that a, the kingdom that is yet to come. I know there is a Jesus who's making all things new and yet. We see little signs of it, but it's the best is still ahead. But maybe faith is about saying, All right, God, I will embrace the living in this tension. Help me not to be a person that stops believing or asking. Help me to not be a person that gives up on this. it also help me not to be a person that demands and uses God, because that's magic. There is a way of trying to invoke the power of God that is the way the magicians did, which is for your own purposes, for your own glory. But God will not be manipulated. God will not be used. God will not be treated like magic. He is God. And He embraces us to live in this tension. Amen? The last thing I want to say from this text is very simple, and I think you do have it on the slide on this one. It's this phrase that this power that we have in Jesus' name is for the sake of those who are outside the community. Yes, it is for us. There's no doubt. As children of God, we, we ask our Father. But there's also something about this that when you leave today and you go out in the world, you ought to be thinking, God, give me eyes to see who's hurting, who's broken. Who is like that person crippled since birth? Who is that person bent over in pain or trauma or grief or whatever it is? And is there a way that in Jesus' name I can bring a word of life? Is there a way that in Jesus' name I can speak hope? Is there a way in Jesus' name I can even pray for them and see a miracle? (gasps) Is there a way that this could really happen? We are quick to point out all the things that were done wrong in Jesus' name over the years and oh, we can name the this and the that. But you know what? There's a lot of healing that's also been done in Jesus' name. A lot of hospitals have been opened in Jesus' name. A lot of service has been done in Jesus' name. A lot of schools have been started in Jesus' name. And maybe we can join our place in the story as the people of God here today and say, God, how can we in Jesus' name be people who bring healing to those who are outside in the world? Amen.